One of the questions that the Buddha has monks ask themselves every day, and it's a useful question for anybody to ask themselves. Days and nights fly past, fly past. What am I doing right now? The purpose of the question is to remind you of the importance of what you're doing right now. And the ephemeral nature of everything else. How much longer are you going to have time are you going to have to do things? The things you want to do, the things you want to get done. And what are the things you want to get done? The Buddha says that true happiness is possible. Are you working toward it? Or are you working away from it? And are, do, are you doing what you can for that purpose, or are you thwarting your own purpose? Or are you just wasting your time? The Buddha was the sort of person who never wasted time. Once he had set his sights on awakening, on finding the answer to the question, is there a true happiness? Happiness is not dependent on conditions. He focused all of his efforts in that direction. And that was a question that had top priority in his life. And after he gained awakening, that was the question that he had his followers take as the top priority in their lives as well. He defined wisdom as beginning with a question, what when I do it will be to my long-term welfare and happiness. That question emphasizes several things. One, the power of your actions to make a difference. And secondly, the question, do you want short-term happiness or long-term happiness? Short-term happiness is all around you. But is it worth the effort? Because everything you're going to gain in life comes through effort, comes through your actions. And so you want to look at your actions. Are they getting good results or not? And what can you do to get better results? You can learn from your past mistakes, resolve not to make them again. But it's also good to have a picture of what's possible. Some people complain there's not much room for imagination and meditation. Actually, the Buddha asked you to imagine a lot of things, to open up your imagination to the possibility that there could be an end to suffering. And it's something you can attain through your own efforts. Can you imagine that? Try to get your head around that idea and think about what it means for your life. And then examine everything you do. And look at your experiences to see exactly how much you're responsible for what's happening.
as the Buddha pointed out, there are two sources for what you're experiencing right now. One is past actions and the other is present actions. Past actions you can't do much about, but you can do a lot with present actions. That's why he says, what am I doing right now? That's why he has you ask that question and keep on asking that question. I may feel surprised that the question has the I in there. After all, aren't we taught that the Buddha taught there is no self? Well, he never taught that. There's no place in the Pali Canon where you can find the Buddha says there is no self. What he does describe is a process of I-making and my-making. That's something we do. Again, this is an action you do here in the present moment. You take the potentials that come from your past actions and you turn them into an actual experience. And part of that usually includes creating your sense of who you are, either as the creator of an experience or as the consumer of the experience. But the I is something you do. The me is something you do. The mine is something you do. And in some cases, that's a useful concept. It's good to know the difference between your wallet and somebody else's wallet. Your possessions and their possessions, your body and their body. If you don't have a clear concept of this, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. But it goes deeper than that. You have to have a sense of your own responsibility and what you're doing right here, right now. You're the one who intends your actions. You can't depend on anybody else to do that for you. If you're not skillful in the way you react to your experiences, you're the one who's going to have to learn how to be more skillful. So having a good, healthy sense of self in, in areas like this is important. It's how you function and how you progress along the path. You look at an experience and ask yourself, what am I doing to make this experience worse? Sometimes you'll find that there's greed involved. Sometimes there is aversion. Sometimes there's delusion. Well, who's responsible for those things? You can't go blaming your parents. You can't go blaming society. Because if you do, you get nowhere. If you look for what you're doing in terms of your greed, anger, and delusion right now, then you can make a difference. So it's in areas like this that a good, strong sense of self is necessary. It's important. It's skillful. It gets results. Because after all, your sense of self is a strategy for happiness. And the Buddha is asking you to make it a strategy for long-term happiness. That's what we mean by a healthy sense of self, the sort of person who can sacrifice short-term happiness for long-term happiness. Be responsible for your actions. You can develop a skill.
there are areas where having a sense of self is actually counterproductive. This is what the not-self teaching is for, to point out what those areas are. If the Buddha had said there is no self, one, it would have been a waste of time. He would have been entangled in all kinds of arguments. What do you mean by a self? If you ask the question, make the statement that there is no self, then immediately the question is, what do you mean by self? Define your terms. And that's a setup for a long, involved argument that ultimately gets nowhere. The Buddha once said, if you try to take stands on either side of that question, is there a self, is there no self? You end up in extreme forms of wrong view. Because you're assuming that the whole idea of a self is a thing, that you're either, you either have it or you don't have it, willy-nilly. In which case, when the Buddha says, well, the things that we claim as self are inconstant and stressful, so I'm satisfied with those things because that's just the kind of self I've got. Can't find any better self than that. And the discussion ends there. But if you look at the self as something you do, then there's an immediate logic. You do things for the sake of happiness. There are cases where the sense of self actually does contribute to your happiness, in which case it's a skillful strategy. There are other times when it actually causes stress and suffering, in which case it's an unskillful strategy. It defeats its whole reason for being. It defeats its whole reason for why you made it. And when you see that, you just stop doing it. That's the whole point of the teaching. So once you develop a good, strong body of skills in how to be mindful, how to bring the mind to a good state of concentration, you've taken the sense of self and its quest for a good long-term happiness about as far as it can go. But the quest for happiness doesn't end there. It goes further. At that point, you have to let go of your sense of self the activity of selfing, because it's getting in the way. This is where the Buddha teaches us to look at things as inconstant, stressful, and not self. In particular, the state of concentration you've worked on. Once it's good and solid, you can see, where is there a disturbance here? What am I doing? And part of the disturbance is going to be the sense of the me, or the I. That's when it's useful to let it go. You look at what is this me, what is this I made of? Well, there are five types of things, the five aggregates. The Buddha never says the aggregates are what you are. He says these are the raw materials that you use to create your sense of self. You take the potential for form, the potential for feeling, perception, fabrication, and consciousness. It comes from past actions, and you actualize it, and then you identify with it. And your identity can change from moment to moment. Sometimes you're focused on feelings, sometimes you're focused on perception, sometimes focused on the body. Either seeing yourself as identical with these things or as possessing these things, as inside them or as these things inside you. 
So even that sense of infinite or interconnected self that has a, a small body and feeling or whatever inside. The Buddha says, let go of that as well. That kind of self is also unskillful. And this teaching goes against the grain because one of the constant themes in the back of your mind is always, what do I do next? What do I do next? And when you're told okay, to stop doing the selfing, you feel, well, who's going to who's going to take care of the shop? Who's going to look after things? Well, you look at what it is it that needs to be looked after, and you realize, well, that's not worth it. And the activities that you're trying to do to shore up the situations that you feel you need for happiness, those are causing stress as well. It's when you can see that they're counterproductive. That's when you can let them go. And this takes a lot of skillful looking, a lot of skillful mindfulness, concentration, all the factors of the path. But when you're really honest with yourself, and that's the first prerequisite for the path, way back at the beginning, the Buddha says, give me someone who's honest and I'll teach that person the Dharma. Honestly looking at what you're doing and what the results are, the point will have to come when you realize you've got to stop. And when you're sensitive enough to see how you can stop and even let go of the intention to stop, that's when you find there's a greater happiness that you've been covering up with all of your frantic arranging, all of your frantic eye-making and my-making. This is why it's worth letting go. This is why that not self-teaching is useful. It's, an, it's part of that strategy for long-term welfare and happiness. So we have that promise from the Buddha that when you finally let go of these things, after you've developed them, that you're not going to be left adrift. In fact, as a John Sawat once said, you find the ultimate happiness, and when there is the ultimate happiness, you won't care who it is that's having ex the experience. The question just won't occur to you. The happiness itself will be sufficient, and it won't change. It'll always—the word always is not quite appropriate because you're outside of space and time at that point. You're right here. There's a strong sense of immediacy. We're not sending you off to some faraway galaxy. But there even isn't even a sense of here or there. There's no sense of location at all. But there is the happiness. That's the Buddha's promise. It's also his challenge to you. What are you doing right now? Is it working toward this happiness or not? Because it's this happiness that makes everything worthwhile. If you can find this happiness in your lifetime, then the narrative of your life has, has real meaning, a real sense of accomplishment. You've done the thing most worth doing. Are you up for it? Days and nights are flying past, flying past.
What are you doing? Keep that question in mind. And keep the context of that question in mind. Come up with your best answer. Through what you do right now, right now, right now. You don't have to advertise it to anybody else. You don't have to tell anybody else, because when you really do it right, nobody else has to know. It's that good. <laughs>